The following podcast is brought to you by iSelect Fund. iSelect is dedicated to helping investors create a diversified portfolio of venture investments through their financial advisors. Learn how to start your own venture portfolio today by visiting iSelectFund.com. Welcome to the Innovation Anarchy Podcast. Each week, we bring you ideas on investing, innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. This week, we discuss innovation in agriculture, plant biology, data analytics, and cloud computing. Hi, uh, this is Carter Williams with iSelect. Uh, today, we have Benson Hill. Uh, as a way of background, uh, the global population is booming, diets are shifting, and urbanization is rising. Never has so much been asked of agriculture to meet the needs of our society. Never have the external risks to ag agriculture advancement been greater, whether from changing climate, limited natural resources, concerns over chemical inputs, protests over GMO, industry consolidation, or reduced choice in the marketplace. New innovation and new innovators are needed to advance agriculture for people and our planet. The emergence area, uh, era of cloud biology, the combination of plant biology, big data, analytics, and cloud computing will enable innovation in agriculture throughout the value chain. Company today, Benson Hill, a portfolio company of iSelect, is pioneering the use of cloud biology and delivering on its promise to solve some of the world's greatest agricultural challenges. And today we have Matt Crisp, CEO of Benson Hill. Matt? Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, Matt, we, you, know, you and I talk a lot about what's going on with Benson Hill, but can you just give us a, a rundown of what Benson Hill does? Sure, so as you stated, Carter, you know, we're working in a, in a really rapidly emerging field called cloud biology, which uh, isn't new. Uh, this is something that has existed in the broader life sciences community now for several years. Uh, and there's a couple emerging examples of cloud bio in the industrial biosciences arena as well. But it's the it's this convergence of, of cloud, of the cloud, of cloud computing with... Uh, sort of Amazon and all that sort <clears throat> of stuff. Exactly. You know, AWS and what that really represents, both from a uh, from an analytics perspective, as, you know, computational scale storage perspective, um, that that transcends many many industries. Obviously, not just the life sciences, including agriculture. Uh, but when you take that and you combine it with analytics, and you combine it, and when I say analytics, we're talking about ML and machine learning, artificial intelligence um, driven approaches to autonomous learning and how to take oftentimes very very large data sets and extract value that uh, humans might not be able to extract value from and then in turn learn from uh, and develop a, a, a effectively a cognitive engine um, that, that can provide biological solutions or recommendations for, for outputs. And that's really where the third leg of that stool comes in, and that's biology. Um, obviously, that's plant biology uh, in agriculture. You're, in the end, you're sort of exhibiting these traits into seed that somebody it, can exactly plant. exactly so so a product at benson hill people say okay so tell me what is a what is a cloud biology product and you know the product is the manifestation of what uh, a computational engine is informing you to do it's it's in the crop and sometimes that uh is higher productivity Sometimes it's better nutritional profiles. Sometimes it's a different leaf architecture so that you can plant 
uh, at a higher density in a field and get effectively more outputs for no additional inputs. Uh, so the the end user, whether that be the farmer who just uh, you know wants to be more productive, um, more profitable, more sustainable, whether that's the consumer who wants a, a different grain profile or nutritional content in their, the food that they consume, uh, whether maybe it's an energy company that wants uh, more sugar in their cane crop, which is all for ethanol. Um, we have partnerships and are working with organizations that are a part of all of those value chains. So my experience with seed is going to the hardware store and buying a seed and planting something in the garden. Let's roll the clock back 100 years ago when farmers were growing a crop of corn or, and uh, planting it. What, and, and frankly, for 400,000 years, we've been doing some level of agriculture. What, what did, 100 years ago, what did somebody do to improve seed? They didn't have AWS to, to do that. <laughs> what did they do? And what are, right. what are, what's your box, in a sense, doing that they did but faster? Well, you know, breeding um, for thousands of years has been the primary modality to improve crops. So and that's <clears throat> splicing. Well, it's not kind of not even splice. It's it's, it's uh, sexual combination. It's taking one plant and, and putting its pollen uh, with another plant, and the result of those two genotypes being combined with another is better than, uh, say, the male or the female that were there. And there's something called uh, trait. Um, integration uh, so you're effectively looking for uh, a trait of one uh, a characteristic say of one plant and you want to put that in another plant so you would cross that in and then you might back cross that plant that you know that that recipient germplasm over and over again selecting for the trait that was that came from the donor this is this is this is common practice right this is a um, this was a foundation of how to improve crops since uh, agriculture was was uh, was started. And in the last 30 years, of these like you're, you were saying splicing and you know the ability to go in and make uh, more manual or directed genetic changes, um, you know, has has really changed the game of agriculture um, as much from a business perspective as it has from a technical and, and scientific perspective. Um, so when when we saw a handful of companies uh, begin to innovate in genomics and begin to develop uh, novel products that really began to change uh, behavior and change outputs at the farm level, uh, those organizations obtained a significant strategic advantage. And as a result, uh, began consolidating that industry over time. And from 1996 until 2006, you went from literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seed companies to uh, a dozen, a couple dozen, few dozen. Um, but if you were to look at in the last 10 years where 80% of the total research spending in agriculture globally occurs, it's under the roof of five companies. Huh. And is that that it takes that much scale? To be able to do it, or did they just become so market dominant that they pushed everybody else out? I, I'd say it's both. I mean, you know, the, the, this was really, really sophisticated technology in the 1980s and 90s uh, to be able to take a gene from another organism and get it to integrate into the genome of a plant 
was, um, I mean, it took a lot of really smart people to figure that out. And, uh, and, and a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of patience. So, so that, that I think can't, the scale that was required to accomplish those goals uh, can't be underestimated. But it, they were able to tackle uh, and uh, those goals and to succeed and in time develop Gen 2 and Gen 3 and Gen however many of, of, of products that stacked on top of that um, in a way, again, that made the distance between them from an innovation perspective and everybody else farther and farther and farther. Uh, and that made, in turn, I think this industry dominance factor something that was, um, I, w I won't say logical because it took a lot of foresight for the leadership of those companies at that time, but um, it took, it set them on a track to obtain market dominance, which is, uh, you and I have talked about, it's very logical progression. This isn't uh, unique to agriculture. Maybe the degree of consolidation in agriculture is a little bit unique right now, uh, especially given where we are and will be in the next two years, assuming that some of the additional consolidation occurs, um, but it isn't, it isn't unusual. So as an investor, I always, I, I'm trained from school to look at how these patterns change. And we've gone through an evolution that I would say is in, in this industry where everyone is out farming and breeding plants in different ways. And you have all these, all these people, all, a whole bunch of different companies out there doing that work. Monsanto and a few sort of came in with, and Monsanto used to be a chemical company, and they really sort of made a very significant pivot with Roundup and then follow-on to really vertically integrate and really drive some change using genomics to, over the last 30 years, to really vertically integrate and, and really drive a lot of change because organizationally it just takes a lot of effort to pull that off and you got to sort of have your team all within your four walls the very common pattern but but on September 14th I uh, Monsanto and Bayer announced the merger of of what they're doing and our perception is is there's yet another change and and so while that merger is going on stepping back there was a process of breeding and then there's a process of genomics and now there's a new process in technology coming on with gene editing can you can you delve in a little bit more with what's going on with gene editing sure <clears throat> it, genome editing uh, has been around for more than a decade um, and and if you had to summarize it very very briefly or simply uh, you would say that it's the ability to even more precisely go into a genome and make a change. And that could be a single base pair change. It could be putting a gene in a very specific location. Uh, it could be swapping out or silencing a gene or a part of a gene. Uh, and so it, it, it allows us um, a, a more refined, more predictable model of how to innovate uh, less expensively, um, more expeditiously. And so as you can imagine, it contrasts to the paradigm under which the, the few companies that exist gained their market dominance. They gained market dominance because, again, they had scale. 
Uh, they're immensely profitable organizations that succeeded in business and plowed a substantial portion of, of their rewards back into R&D. And that in turn grew rapidly. Genome editing represents one tool like cloud computing. I think they're in many respects very similar through the lens of an innovator in the space. Um, by lowering the barriers, by taking a technology and approach that 10 or 15 years ago could have taken, um, you know, five to 10 years and minimum of 10, 20, 30 million dollars and allowing you to do that in two or three years for one tenth or one one hundredth of the cost. Um, that's we're not talking, you know, incremental improvement. We're talking exponential changes that uh, we believe and we're positioning our company um, to take advantage of this but we believe that what that does is it provides a model to empower innovation to a much more diverse community of stakeholders um, as stakeholders that are new to this category entirely mm -hmm. and stakeholders that exist throughout the value chain all the way to the consumer uh, your seed companies operate at one place in the value chain, and they their their customer really has been the farmer. They're very, I mean, you, they're making a genetic genomic improvement. They're they're monetizing that uh, at the grower level, um, and that's been a extraordinarily successful business. They over time in recent years have realized I, th I think that their consumer. Um, uh, the consumer is, is, a, is a really is becoming a bigger part of food nag. Uh, it's becoming a bigger part of all this is consumers who want different nutrition or they don't want right. it to be GMO or uh, they exactly and they want to make sure it doesn't use as much water when you make the crop. Exactly. There's and there, there are sustainability considerations. There are control considerations. You know, when what do you, you mean by control? Well, you know, I mean, when you've taken uh, an industry, uh, uh, like ours and it can't, you know, from outside looking in and you're saying, wait a minute, so five companies um, control, ah. you know, the, 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 the seeds, they control uh, a huge proportion of what we uh, consume. And uh, they sort of needed to do that to get get through that first chunk. I think that they had to control fair. All the inputs. And I think it's fair not to say so much that they had to control all the inputs, but that they had to build bigger businesses in order to be able to innovate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and look, I mean, it, if you were in a position where you needed to um, uh, create shareholder value and build a successful company, there are a lot of decisions that are made that are very congruent with those interests. It's very aligned, but they, that we're living in a world now where there's a lot higher expectation of transparency and the consumers controlling that conversation. The con consumer is aware of what they're more aware than ever, especially in the developed world of what they're eating, where it came from, sometimes who grew it. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, if it's meat, you know, what the, what the cow was fed. Um, this is, this, this isn't going to undo itself. Our, the you know, millennial generation and, 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 the, um, and the following generation and the following generation aren't going to wake up one day and go, oh, it's okay. We're, we'll just trust that this is all well and good. They want to know, or they want to know that they can know if they wanted to. And, and again, that, that's providing, I think, a catalyst for a lot of companies that are in the space today 
And a lot of companies and investors, for instance, that are looking at ag as a category to potentially be a part of, um, it's forcing the conversation of, of how do we how do we work around that model? How do we integrate a level of transparency in our product development efforts, in our commercialization, marketing, R&D that satisfies the, the ultimate customer in a way that really hasn't been done or done very well to date? So the, again, going back a bit to the analogy here of vertical versus horizontal integration. So there was a period where Monsanto was really, let's say, driving yield, and let's let's increase yield five, 10, 15 percent, and and we've sort of done that. And what I hear you saying is, is consumers are saying now, whether that consumer is a farmer, or or someone who's eating the food, or someone who's making the food in between, we want we want improved yield because worldwide population over the next 20 years is expected to grow by 2 billion. So we need more food, more yield. Um, but also, we want better nutritional value. Uh, as the rest of the world gets more wealthy, it stops just eating rice and wants to eat beef, and beef needs to be fed. <laughs> so you need more, more, more of that. Um, so that they're looking for more yield, they're looking for more nutritional value, and then as constraints on resources continue to burden, uh, they need it more resource efficient. At, mm -hmm. So at the, sa at the same time, we've got massive innovation coming on where you're taking a process that used to cost a lot of money to do, and through using cloud computing, shortening uh, the development time and decreasing the crop. Uh, the, the cost of, right. of everything that's going on. <clears throat> right. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a, a mashup, effectively, of technologies. And like you're alluding to, cloud computing is an enabler, but it allows us to run predictive analytics. Data and the analytics, you know, provide a recommendation. And, and that recommendation is targeted towards, like you're saying, it could be crop productivity. Now, there's a difference, though, um, and it's really the, the, driven by the customer. So when I, when I say consumer, I mean more so the, the, the moms in the grocery store. The consumer, or I'll rephrase that part and say customer of a seed company, continues in many respects to be a farmer. Mm -hmm. And a farmer wants more without having to, more output without having to add input. Uh, that is a, that's a monetizable product. If I can take a yield gene and I can increase the ability of a corn plant to make grain, uh, I will monetize that uh, at the farm gate or you know, from the farmer, but based on you know what it creates for him or her at the farm gate. When I move down that value chain, when I get more vertical from a genomics innovation perspective, I can have a conversation with somebody, uh, let's say a food company, go to a, a PepsiCo, good example. Uh, Pepsi knows, obviously, that uh, as one of the largest snack food producers in the world, agriculture is a pretty strategic, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a strategic area for them. And we think of PepsiCo and we think of, you know, a soda and, and, and snacks. And, and we, from a business perspective, might think marketing, which in many respects it is, packaging. But behind that, they're having to source, uh, source material. And they want to make sure that they're getting consistent 
quality material that meets their product spec. So they have their own breeding program in potato, for instance. Hmm. They have their own corn germplasm uh, for Frito-Lay, right? So things like chips and, and, and corn chips and potato chips, you know, they're not... They're not. Is that a yield thing or a taste thing or is both? it all of the above? Texture, taste, yield. I mean, I'd say that in many respects, the food company tends to be less concentrated on yield and more concentrated on quality and consistency of, of supply. So can you like design a seed that makes the Pepsi potatoes meet their requirements and do that in a deterministic way? Well, often sit in a room and say, oh yeah, we'll go back to the lab and, and we'll produce this? That's or? exactly right. And what you're doing is you're saying not so much that you're designing it in a bottoms up in a, in a de novo way. But what you're doing is, is using maybe the chassis that they already have. This potato has a certain starch profile. It can be processed in a certain way, and it makes the best tasting potato chip that Pepsi has ever, ever made. But they'd like to make it uh, with a slightly different starch profile. Maybe it's a, a different um, uh, uh, nutritional characteristic that they would like to add right to the to the potato mm-hmm. maybe they'd like to reduce crop loss and 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 find a way to make it blight resistant such that it doesn't you know it doesn't doesn't uh, uh, have disease that compromises its supply because they want to grow it in some particular area could of the world be yeah they... but you know, disease happens i mean it, yes. you know these things are susceptible to all kinds of environmental factors and so to the extent that they're looking for consistency in supply and disease compromises that, they might say, I'd really like you to add this disease uh, resistance gene to my potato. But I don't know where it is. I don't know how to find it. I need to go find it. Mm-hmm. So you endeavor a, a, you're endeavoring to, to um, discover effectively a gene or gene combination that would impart that characteristic, just like you would if you wanted to change the starch profile. Or, uh, in, I mean, that's what you do, and it, to a degree. I to mean, a you, degree, because what we're doing is we're agnostic to, uh, to the crop. We're agnostic to the target, so whether it's nutritional profile or photosynthetic efficiency or leaf architecture. Um, we're agnostic. What we're about is getting data into a place uh, and coupled with analytics um, at a scale where one can derive uh, informed uh, guidelines uh, that will allow them to most efficiently develop a product. And so I'll give you an example. We, we uh, were talking to a food company a couple weeks ago, and um, an unnamed food company doesn't want any GMO. Uh, and this is this is pretty common uh, uh, as a brand a lot of brands are positioning themselves as non-gmo and uh, i think it, the jury's out on whether that's going to be a, a monetizable whether people really pay for that or not um, in some cases they're already non-gmo and they're 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 just catching you know some um some marketing, marketing appeal yeah it's, it's all marketing appeal um but said G, uh, said uh, said company uh, tells tells me I don't want any GMO, but I I'm open minded to genome editing. Okay, well, let's talk about that. What what are the targets you need? What do you want out of your crop? And we can sit down and look at data, their data, our data, public data, and begin to understand um, using the parameters that they've given us. 
I don't want to use something that's going to be a regulated article. I don't want to use a GMO-based approach. I am completely open to using a breeding approach and natural variation, and I might be willing to use a genome editing approach. So let's sit down and look at product spec that they have and how to get most quickly from point A to point B. Where are we right now? What is the state of your genetic material? What gene or genes are we going to go have to you know, find? Or maybe they already mm -hmm. know what they are. Who knows? And, and how do we then employ a, a, a research and development approach that gets us uh, to, the, to a product as fast as possible with the best, uh, with the best outcome? Um, and that is, that is, uh, that's a powerful approach when you consider that uh, we have only, I mean, just barely, barely scraped the surface of the genetic potential, the global genetic potential of plants. And where it, you know, 100 years ago, you'd go through years and years and years of breeding. You can consolidate that right. into I mean, a fraction of the time. A fraction of the time. I mean, to, to, to give you an idea, you can, using uh, computational-driven approaches and whole genome sequencing today, uh, cut your breeding cycle almost, in, your breeding cycles almost in half. Using genome editing, you can think about that being cut even further. And instead of saying, and this is the way we would have done it 50 years ago or 30 years ago, is I've got these 10 different lines and they all have 10 different characteristics I like. I need over the course of however many generations of crossing and back crossing to combine, I want all 10 of those characteristics combined into this product. With genome editing, if you know what you want to go after, if you, if you know what you need to do, you can employ that technology in a single germplasm, in a single, you know, in one, one material, make those changes, and you're, you're done. You, I mean, you shouldn't, you still need to, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to overstate the simplicity, but you, you, you still have to trial, you still have to go th and make sure that your, your stuff checks out, you still have to put it in the field, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know, you're not eating data for breakfast, as well, somebody but, says, so but, you know, you, you still have to test it out, uh, but you're, you're right, you're dramatically reducing the cost to get from point A to point B, and you're, and you're increasing the confidence that when you get to point B, you're in fact going to have what you want. So when we talk to, when I talk to growers, they're dealing, if I'm a row crop, I'm building the, you know, I'm a farmer, I, I plant soy, I plant corn, I got huge price pressures on me business feels a little tough it feels a little tough going forward for some time uh and now i look sort of at at the the evolution of technology and uh, you know i i i went through the the introduction of the pc so in 1980 we saw this big shift where at&t was broken up and soon thereafter things like microsoft and cisco and and all those companies came online and and we know what those companies are today but if I, it feels like when I hear your story, I emotionally connect back to when I was a kid and that shift went from the only person you can get your phone service from is AT&T. It costs 10 cents a minute, a dollar a minute long distance. You got to rent the phone from them. It feels very much like the sort of way Monsanto operates this way and had to, to get the market going. But now we're making a shift. And so that shift is you know, technically and, and strategy, that's called a horizontal shift. You're a, you're, you help seed companies get better seed through your genomics platform, but, and Microsoft sort of stepped in and produced an operating system 
that then everybody, so that you op you sell crop OS. So it's a very similar sort of notional concept. But then Dell came into the business, and Hewlett Packard came into the business, and NEC started building monitors, and all these other peripherals have emerged, and and each one of them did something different. And if you do go to a farm today, and you'll find that people are flying drones and they're trying data systems and, and they've got new sensors. And, and so explain to me, or what's your sense of all these other things that are gonna come online and do they, do they fit into your ecosystem? Do they compete? What's, the, what's sort of the farm, how's the farm evolving with this? Yeah, if I had to, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, a terrific amount of innovation going on in ag right now. Uh, across several different areas, some of which you, you just alluded to. Uh, in terms of what touches our ecosystem, I'd say that, that biology, yeah, the, the, the biology of the crop, is, is, this, is this common denominator throughout the value chain. And that's why we, when we think about partners and we think about a commercialization strategy, we don't stop at the grower. The grower is hugely important. I mean, the, you know, Growers in this country are the best growers in the world, and uh, um, you know their <laughs> their success uh, is something that um, we we as a society have enjoyed, uh, but that is going to get significantly better, more automated, more intelligent, more resource sensitive, and efficient. Uh, it, 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 but the biology, the crop still has to go in the ground. It still has to be harvested. Uh, and yeah, you're building a right. seed that then goes in a piece of dirt and then grows. Right, right, so right. As, as, Norman, as Norman Borlaug said, there are no miracles in agriculture. Right? <laughs> you still have to get the crop. And, and it might be all roboticized, uh, you know, in many respects. That'll help a lot of it is. labor inputs. But but. To totally, totally. Um, but when we, again, back to our ecosystem, to the extent that something is um, is interacting with the, the genetics of the plant, it's, it's inside of the genome of the plant. And I think in time, fast forward 5, 10, 15 years, um, it's not just the genome of the plant, but it's the interaction of the other biological systems in that environment. So we, we invest in a, we were invested in a probiotics company that's basically putting bacteria in the <laughs> into the right, ground right. to help grow grass better. I mean, do you envision that that down the road that other probiotics companies will be working in conjunction with you to get these two, you know, I needed a printer to hook up to my computer and the cords needed to fit. Is there a, is there a similar analogy? Yeah, I, do, I actually, I love that analogy. And you're right, the, the, the context in which uh, products in agriculture have been commercialized are largely um, uh, singular, uh, you know, Ag companies want to get on an acre to get business to sell a portfolio of stuff. They want to sell the seed and the fertilizer and the biologics and some other treatment and um, you know you know they they want to be able to sell all of those things. All but one they, shop, right? But they all, for all intents and purposes, have uh, uh, independent value propositions. Uh, 10, 20 years from now, that will not be the case. We, it will be a much more solution-directed cell. Uh, we will be looking at the genome of a plant and understanding how can we further boost photosynthetic efficiency and atmospheric carbon fixation and 
uh, uh, crop productivity and uh, health and disease and resistance and all the, the cadre of things that we might try to tackle using, say, either a, a genome-oriented, crop genome-oriented approach or uh, some chemistry or some biology, we will have designed on the front end uh, products that interact favorably with the microbiome, that interact with other products uh, that might, you know, might not even independently be a viable product, but when combined with something that, say, is a genetic change in a crop plant, provides a synergistic effect and a more sustainable outcome. Uh, th that, that will happen. Uh, that becomes uh, remarkably complex. And, and that's not something that Benson Hill is doing today. We're focused on the crop and the, and the, the genome of a plant, uh, many different plants, but the genome within the harvested material. Um, but uh, anyway, it, I, I, think, I think it's important for us to realize how that ecosystem will evolve. And then on the other side, the adjacencies, the horizontal, as, as you put it, um, there are going to be all types of automation and understanding knowledge at the grower level, but throughout the entire value chain, you know, from um, that provide transparency in a lot of what, you know, the consumers are, are demanding. So the, again, sort of going back as an analogy, we paid 10 cents a minute in 1980, and then the day after it all started to collapse as everything opened up. And I think the first PC that I used cost $2,500 and had word processing and that was it right and now i can for a fraction of that um do cloud computing on <laughs> right on that type of platform and so it radically changed and the costs all went down and so does the analogy extend we're sitting here saying okay we got 7.3 billion people now in 20 2050 we're gonna have 10 billion people in the world and we're not going to have enough food, and we're going to use up all of our water, and the end of the world is going to occur, and, and there's no solution. Um, but then as we – and we hear from farmers thinking that there's not a whole lot of chance to improve the economics of the farm. Right. Is that true? Well, I <laughs> – Or I don't know what I'm saying. I, I, there's so a lot which, of – Which way is this going to go? I was going to say there's a lot of – there's a lot there. There's a lot of problems to be solved. Uh, I love – the uh, you know I don't love but, but the reality of the, the statistic that um, you know in the next 35 years we'll need to produce more food than we have in the last or more agriculture productivity than we have in the last 10,000 years combined it, it kind of puts it into perspective of the magnitude of the of, of what yes. we are facing and that there's only one thing that I, I think I can I can uh, categorically agree on with my colleagues in, in this community and that is that Three companies aren't going to solve that problem. Yes. I think that's, from an innovation standpoint, that, right. that, that's the way it's been in the past. Right. you got to launch a lot of other companies. And so, when you, and so to parallel your example with a $2,500 computer that has word processing, you know, depending on who you ask, you could hear stories about how 20, 25 years ago, the first ag biotech trait product was, was commercialized, and it cost, it took... 18 years and cost 200 million dollars, right? I, I, I'm we are we at Benson Hill. I know, and other people in this industry are developing regulated biotech trait products in a regulatory environment that's much more stringent than it was then. In five years, six years, for 15, 20 million dollars, huh. 
and, and and look, that's still a big nut. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of cash. Now you add genome editing to that, and you're you're going to talk about even with appropriate validation, field work, etc., cutting that uh, up to half uh, of 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 uh, of time, and maybe more than half of cost. Right? That's a big deal. That that enables hundreds of companies to do what right now, you know, five, 10, 15, maybe can mm -hmm. do, uh, or maybe it's oversitting where we are today. 10 years ago, five, 10 companies could have done. And while they also that, my understanding is a lot of this focus in the past has been on the, the major row crops that you're starting to see other crops <clears throat> come to you looking, you know. Absolutely, that, that's a, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, a a very, very important point that of the 80% of research dollars globally that have been spent by, by five companies uh, last year, or in the last, I think it's five years, we, we ran some analysis to try and untangle this, but I'm pretty confident in saying that more than 85% of that 80% is corn and soybeans. Huh. So there's a big universe out there of crops that haven't really gotten much attention. And, and again, that's not, be, I, wanna, I wanna be clear, that's, that's, that's very logical. Because of the cost of innovation, uh, because of the way that these things ultimately are monetized, it wouldn't make sense for companies to spend the same amount of money developing 20 different crops yes. on each crop. And, and it, so you have to scale. You have well, to Well, and this is a, akin to, we used to have mainframe computers. It took a lot to put them together. Right. Then we figured out how to make them a lot cheaper. They became <clears> PCs. <throat> and then you stuck a whole bunch of PCs together and built cloud computing. And, right. and, and, and we're off to the races. Right. And now, and now uh, this f iPhone here is more powerful than what I mean anything that by by a, orders of magnitude orders of magnitude right, than the, right, the PC right. that when I was in in high school we were using um and so in terms of the evolution going forward in our conversations it feels like you know the, this type of technology breeding GMO gene editing to optimize nutrition yield um, and resource efficiency uh, is going to grow linearly, exponentially? I think the number of players involved are, is going to grow dramatically. We should see dozens of new entrants to the field uh, in the genomics arena over the next several years. I think a lot of them will be focused on areas of research that one would consider low-hanging fruit. Uh, I mean, how, how much research do, or do we know has been done on the gene editing side and uh, uh, barley on, yeah, or quinoa. I mean, you yeah. could rattle off, you know, 30 different crops that have received virtually no, no sub substantive investment that are uh, valuable uh, in some respects to a consumer at a premium. So there's going to be a, a, a lot of scale that I think is realized um, across a, a community of innovators uh, over the next several years. The number of targets is going to dramatically increase. Um, and I think, I think it's fair to say in agriculture, uh, so 
to the biology point that I was making a minute ago, you still you still have to take the seed and put it in the ground and grow it. You can't uh, cook a turkey at you know ten thousand degrees in, in in three minutes. Yeah, you just can't, and you can't do it with a crop either. You can't, you have to let the thing grow. It has to go outside or you know most often outside. And, uh, and that takes time. So the experimental cycles in agriculture take time. And so in a respect that I think might even be much more significant than other industries that have more rapid cycling or simpler biological systems, in agriculture, we're almost more dependent. Yeah, I would say more dependent long-term getting predictive outcomes from, a, uh, from, a, from an analytics platform. In other words, getting it right the first time because even though I might have gone uh, from 20 years or 18 years down to say six years, you know, people will say, well, you've only cut it by 67%. All these other industries have cut everything by 99%. Well, you can't cook a turkey at 10,000 yes. degrees in three minutes. So, so there are some rate limiters here and, and, a, and a degree of patience that's required in this space that is often not required in, in, in other industries that we like to compare ourselves to. Um, and while I think that a lot of those similarities do indeed exist, uh, biology is biology, and it's still messy, and it's going to be messy for a long time. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I think I just want to make sure that, that the point is these technologies are exponential in many respects, but it comes with the caveat that you know there, there is a biological rate limiter, and um, until we figure out you know how to how to grow a, a corn crop in, you know, six days, um, you know, that this is going to be, this is going to operate within the context of the existing infrastructure. Well, Matt, I want to thank you for your time here. Um, we, you know, from an iSelect perspective, we see a lot of interesting innovation going on. We're, we're located right here in St. Louis, um, here at, right outside the Danforth Center which is a premier research center and you you have all the exciting people from monsanto looking at what you're doing and seeing what the next generation's going to be we had to get uh, tinted windows put up because to, to, to have them stop looking <laughs> at this uh, but i uh, i'd like to have you back sometime in the future because i have a sense that there's a lot that's going to happen in the next 18 months both with you and with some of these other companies um so thank you very much, and be prepared to come back and tell us more. Would love to. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, appreciate iSelect support. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Anarchy. To subscribe, go to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for more conversations about venture, innovation, and entrepreneurship.